0: Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Thursday, October 17th. And, uh, you know, today is the day. It's finally here. We're coming to you uh, just an hour before puck drop in the game against the St. Louis Blues, Uh, but... You know, I tried to keep it general. There's not a whole lot of game preview in this. You can still listen to this after the fact if the game is already over. But today is the day. I've been promising it since the very beginning of this show that we would eventually have guests on here. Look, I needed some time to find my voice and get comfortable being able to do 25 to 30 minutes by myself, uh, if necessary. I am going to have guests on this show going forward. Uh, you know, I got a lot of friends in media in this city who I am. Excited to talk to you as the weeks and months, and who knows, maybe even years go by. But uh, very pleased to be joined today by none other than Thomas Drantz of The Athletic Vancouver. Tom and I go way back. In fact, he even let me write for Canucks Army back in the day when I was uh, just a wee young lad back at BCIT studying to be the broadcaster. I am today. I am appreciative of that, and I'm grateful to have him on the show today as well. And you know what? Without further ado, let's get right to it. Pleased to welcome to the show now my inaugural guest. And keeping some tradition here, as he was the first guest on a uh, former podcast of mine as well, it is none other than the Athletic Vancouver's Thomas Drance.
1: Thomas, welcome to Locked On Canucks, and thanks for doing this, man. Hey, Justin, thanks so much. I'm I'm considering channeling. Um, you know, my second favorite New Canucks podcast and and dubbing myself Thomas D. Rance and just referring to you as Justin and Alanis for the entire podcast, but I'll, I'll resist that urge narrowly well, for, uh, but no thanks for having me on i hope it goes better than my first appearance on real good show oh no you were wonderful <laughs> are you
0: kidding me uh, spectacular <laughs> there's a reason i'm bringing you back keeping the tradition alive uh but i'm g- uh, talking to you you are at the rink right now in st louis and i don't want to talk too much about the blues because i have a feeling that most people will be listening to this after the game has taken place but you know at, at this stage of the year tom like so many of the questions around every team are are they for real and before we start asking that question about specific Canucks players I want to ask you that about the St. Louis Blues in general because yes they won the Stanley Cup last year but throughout that entire playoff run all I could see in them was the team that the Canucks beat so bad that they fought each other in practice the next day (laughs) even though they won the cup are the St. Louis Blues a good hockey team I say yes.
1: They have the best blue line group of any NHL club. Obviously, Bennington has been outrageous since making his NHL debut. We know how goalies are. We'll see if that pixie dust continues. But so long as it does, I think they're legit. When I look through their centers, uh, when I look at Ryan O'Reilly, when I look at the two-way ability there and some of the high-end skill they have with Jaden Schwartz and Vladimir Tarasenko... And your listeners, by the way, can tell I'm at the rink because of the live jazz rehearsal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the when I look at that, I see a team that's, you know, just an absolute handful, night in, night out. And especially if you have to face them seven times over 15 days uh, in the playoffs.
0: All right, fair. So let's turn our attention now uh, to the Canucks then. Because the big story coming out of the last game against Detroit. And look, I know we're only five games into the year at this point, And they just won three games against three... Beatable teams, teams on their schedule that they should be coming up on top of. Uh, But the big story against Detroit was the superb play of that fourth line of Jay Beagle with Tyler Mott and Tim Schaller. I know you've made a big bet on Schaller this season, uh, but like... Is that an anomaly, what we saw from them that night? Or is that a fourth line that you can dependably rely on to be consistent checkers? Because as bad as the wings are, that top line of theirs is
1: actually really good. Time will tell. I think there are reasons, yes, I'm saying this with a straight face, reasons to believe that a Schaller-Beagle-Mott fourth line can be You know, a a really good line, probably not, but at least average or better vis a vis their competitors in terms of fourth lines around the league, I think there's no reason they can't be. Now, one sort of easy response to that is sure, but they're so much more expensive, and I think that's fair. From an efficiency test perspective, they don't pass it. But in terms of what they can provide for this Canucks team, I do think that there's reasons to think that. A, they have a little bit more offensive pop than they've shown so far through five games and and certainly through last season. You know, Mott had nine goals last year. Sure, some of them were empty netters, but you have to be trusted by the coaching staff to get empty netters. And, you know, I I think it's reasonable uh, that both Mott and Schaller could flirt with ten goals. And if they both do that, then we're talking about a fourth line that, you know, they're not going to win the territorial battle. At best, they're going to keep their head above water by goal differential. But if you're getting 25 to 30 goals out of your fourth line, you know, I don't think you can sneeze at that. And I genuinely think Schaller's a really good defensive piece. I think Mott's improved every season. He's got some speed. Certainly brings that tenacity, that shot blocking that Travis Green likes. And, you know, Jay Eagle is a high-end penalty killer, and, and Schaller's been great there too. They've been a big part of that, even though, you know, for now... Vancouver's elite PK percentage is, is goalie driven uh, it doesn't change the fact that you know I think they can help in other facets of the game at five on five I think they're roughly league average maybe a bit better uh in terms of the standards of the league for fourth lines and yeah I, I think I've been I mean even before the Detroit game I've been impressed by Schaller's play all through training camp uh into the early parts of the season Mott brings a an extra speed dimension to that line and I I basically think when you look at Vancouver's bottom six and rightly conclude that it's the Achilles heel of the team, I do think those issues are mostly isolated to the third line, which has continued to be a wasteland, especially offensively speaking, uh, despite the club's success over the past five
0: games okay because I was gonna get into that in a second but let's stay on the fourth line for a minute because yes the the bottom six of this team is a huge weakness it was outscored at a two-to-one margin uh last year it gets caved in in terms of possession ostensibly these are the same guys coming back again in those same roles and yet it's looked good at least in terms of the fourth line so far what's different about those three guys on the fourth line relative to last year
1: well, I think the key part is Tim Schaller. You know, had a full off, had a full off season. He he'd gone through surgery the summer before, and he really recommitted himself in terms of his work ethic. Now, look, we can say that about any player who's off to a good start, and the uh, you know proof that's in the pudding tends to come in January. So, you know, not not saying the jury's adjourned on the Tim Schaller bounce back, but Tim Schaller has a track record of a guy who is a genuinely useful. Defensive contributor at the bottom end of your lineup. You know, he's had successful stints playing that role in both Boston and in Buffalo. And realistically, in my view anyway, his complete ineffectiveness last season was out of line with his career results. And when I look at a guy coming off of a season like that, you know, tending to be scrutinized uh, in, in a voracious hockey market like Vancouver's, I mean, those are the sort of guys I look for when I pick bounce back candidates. And, and that's kind of why he ended up on my radar. He looked good in training camp. And when I looked at his underlying records when or numbers, when I looked under the hood of his performance, you know, I thought, what's more likely that this guy completely forgot how to play physical, effective two-way hockey or that he had a really rough year coming off of surgery. And I sort of concluded that the latter was less likely than the former. And anyway, I think that's been a big part of it. And I think Mott being an extra year older, and I think Jay Beagle being hurt through large portions of the last year also hurt the Canucks' fourth line and how it looked. Not, not just Beagle's effectiveness when he came back, but in terms of his absence. And, you know, I think those are two at least significant changes and, and another sort of minor one that can make a whole lot of difference in terms of how that drink tastes after it's been stirred.
0: Uh, you mentioned the third line being something of a wasteland at the moment, and uh, I think it's part of the fact that, like, it doesn't have an identity at the moment. You know, I was pulling my hair out coming out of the, the final cuts before the season at the fact that they had sent down guys who are uh, good at playmaking and scoring, like Sven Berchi or or Nikolai Goldobin, because, you know... I want, and I think most people want, three lines that have offensive punch to them. If you are going to be using your fourth line as a you know hard matchup checking line, does that not free up the ability to use that third line in more of an offensive role instead of banking on a guy like Sutter being another shutdown center on top of Beagle?
1: Sure. I mean, look, I think that's fair, and I think it's worth noting, for example, that this is going to be the fourth new look third line that the Canucks have used in going into their sixth game on, on Tuesday night. So that would suggest to me that if you're saying the Canucks don't have an identity on their third line, uh, that if you ask Canucks coaches, they probably agree with you. And so, you know, I think it's, you know, when I look at it, I mean, Brandon Sutter's off to a pretty good start in terms of his points. Obviously, he had that tremendous game against the Kings and, you know, contributed, uh, has been a useful contributor, not just shorthanded, but, you know, in uh, in at even strength and in terms of his offensive pop but when you sort of look under the hood that those players who have spent time on the Canucks third line are just not generating much more than 20 shots per 60 uh, at five on five and you know those are those are really tough numbers especially because they're giving away a league average or better uh in terms of what their other teams are generating against them and yeah I mean I think that's you know ag- again we- Everyone in Vancouver spent all this time talking about the bottom six, and I think the real issues lie on that third line. And when you look at, you know, how the club has contorted themselves to try and figure out something that works, you know, they're they're trying Perlin there uh, with Sutter and Vertanen on Tuesday night against St. Louis, I I think that would indicate that, you know, they have a pretty significant awareness uh, that this is a fact.
0: So you're saying that uh, this idea that Jake Vertanen has been – dialed in and, and found some consistency in his game to start the season uh, might not entirely match up with uh, with the underlying numbers?
1: Uh, yeah, I think the... I think Vertanen's been pretty decent, actually. I mean, I think he's stood out some, too, in games where the Canucks haven't had enough guys going, and I think back to that Calgary game. Obviously, he's played well enough to maintain a spot in the lineup, and I don't think that's been gifted. I think that's been earned, and you know he does bring speed, and that's something the Canucks desperately need, especially in that bottom six. I think that's been a big reason why he's had so many chances. Uh, but yeah, his consistency is still at issue. And, and you know Green explicitly told the media that the other day. He said, "When I look at what line to put for Tannen on, I sort of see him as a guy who can maybe give that group a short-term sort of spark. But you know we've talked to him about the fact that until he's you know brings it more consistently and performs more consistently, it's hard for him to have a consistent spot in the lineup."
0: Uh, you mentioned Michael Furland there. Obviously, it's still early. Five games, going to be the sixth tonight. Uh, at, at what point would you feel comfortable perhaps hitting the panic button on this guy as far as uh, not being able to
1: del- to deliver what he was sold as coming into the year? I would at least be waiting to see five to seven more games, especially now that the density of the schedule has picked up. I mean, you know, Furland obviously... He fits the profile of a player who can maybe fall off the map rather suddenly. And I just mean that in terms of how assertive he has been physically throughout his career. I mean, he's played at a pace and at a rate, just in terms of working and in terms of hitting and getting hit, that the human body just can't sustain over a long period of time. And we've seen that historically. And so if there's a concern, it's that. It's that, you know, has this guy taken um, just such a physical toll? terms of what he's given out and what he's received over the course of you know a a very reliable career as a good middle six winger who complements skilled lines effectively Uh, you know that has to be a concern but I do think with his significant viral infection during training camp and the fact that he lost so much weight and that he missed a full week basically of time on the ice and but just as he was ramping up but that was like i think that's significant that was a full
0: month ago now though right like how long can you coast on that excuse
1: well it was three weeks ago i think that you know honestly i uh i was sort of wondering about it because i had some agents telling me that they thought it was pretty significant and so i reached out to um know a guy who's worked with NHL players on the sort of strength and conditioning side and he said you know I'd be patient with him I think it I think it takes a bit but then I asked Mike about it and Michael's the one who says no I, I feel better I feel lighter I think that I'm faster now and you know for what it's worth I don't think his issue so far has been I mean maybe maybe it's been a lack of sort of that physical assertiveness that You know, he comes sort of advertised as, especially in the Vancouver market, where he basically four-checked an entire defense core into oblivion during the playoffs (laughs) some five years ago. But the, you know, when I sort of look at what's been stunting his effectiveness or why he didn't work out with the Horvat line or, you know, what sort of caused him to lose that spot with the Pedersen line so quickly, you know, I kind of look at it as really more than anything just that, the, the passing game hasn't been there. there's just been a total lack of productive touches and you know that to me doesn't doesn't indicate the signs of physical atrophy that I mentioned could be a concern in sort of monitoring his progress here. Uh, so yeah, I mean look now that the Canucks are about to play four and three, uh, you know they're gonna play sorry four and three three and four and four and um, six. You know that's sort of a stretch of games where it's pretty consistent where you're playing every night or every other night. and I think we'll know a lot more in ten days time, but but I do think it makes sense to give him those ten days, especially with the illness that he had and how you know, the complete lack of density that the Canucks schedule has sort of brought in the early going here.
0: Uh, you mentioned the physicality of playing that role and not being able to do it for, uh, you know, uh, it, the lengthy Forever. careers <laughs> that we expect of these guys. In pro wrestling, it's called a bump card. You only get so many bumps, and then, you know, you've run out of. Room on your card. Uh, That's good. I like that. (laughs) I'm going to draw a further pro wrestling parallel here as well, because when we're talking about identity and trying to build a a third line that has, uh, you know, a clear purpose and a clear kind of role on this team. It, it, it's surprising to me to see Adam Godet come in and out of the lineup the way he has so far. You know, um, grabbing the brass ring is this big analogy in WWE. And when I talked to Big E of The New Day uh, over SummerSlam weekend in Toronto, I talked to him about, like, what needs to change for you guys to reclaim that role? Is it, you know, just being undeniable or does something need to change structurally? And he said, yeah, like, we do need to be undeniable, but you can't be that if you're not given the opportunity in the first place. And to me, that's sort of this position that Adam Godet finds himself in right now, where if you gave the kid rope and room to run, he could really assert himself and turn this into something. When you're, you know, flipping things around all the time and maybe limiting his ice to 10 minutes or lower than that some nights, how much room does he really have to become the player that you want him to be?
1: Well, you know... For me, though, the argument that you've just made isn't he should be on the third line every night. It's he should be first line in Utica. You know, if if the idea is to get him regular reps and not ding him for mistakes, considering he'd be playing sort of that depth role, then isn't it better to get 25 minutes of reps than it is to get 10 or or 12? Uh, You know, that's sort of my basic view of it. I think Goddett's played well, you know, he certainly had that excellent game against Calgary where he was really the Canuck that stood out the most uh, just in terms of his work rate and, you know, one thing, like one classic American League lesson uh, that young players sometimes need to learn is is that work rate away from the puck, but that's not a concern with Adam Gaudet Adam Gaudet brings it every night but but that said, you know, I do think against, and I think it was against Detroit, but maybe it was against Philly uh, you know, he did sort of, yeah, it was against Philly, he sort of had that Come back to reality game. And and this is pretty common for young guys. You know, you make your first sort of roster out of camp and you have the adrenaline pumping those first two games and you kind of survive because you're outworking everybody else. And, you know, I thought against Philly, he had a couple shifts where he was losing some of those puck battles and, you know, not coming out with it enough. And, And I know that that's the kind of thing that the Canucks coaching staff looks at and cares about. And I think that's why, you know, Goldobin started the season in Utica, for example, and, you know, why... Tyler Mott, for example, you know, is a, is a mainstay in this lineup. And, you know, I, I think that it's sort of a, it's a tough one. Like, it's one of those situations where when he's really going, he brings something offensively, but does his defensive game, does his details, have the polish necessary. Uh, you know, based on how abjectly sort of poor and inconsistent this third line has been so far, despite the club winning games and despite some actually decent offensive production, uh, you know, does it maybe make sense to give him a long look and, and see what he can do? Sure. But if the idea is to find consistency for him for development purposes, it seems to me that the... American League would be the better place to do that.
0: Of course, the Canucks are on the road right now, as you can hear from the rink noise behind Thomas. But when they come back, the fine folks at Vivid Seats want to help you see some games. Yes, with the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, you can attend the concert or show or hockey game of your choice and earn credit towards your next live event as well. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all of the live events that you want to go to, and you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. It's called Vivid Seats Rewards. So go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app now. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program and every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. So download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program today. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime like for example seeing the Canucks put on a show at Rogers Arena and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event enter promo code postseason at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100 now more from Thomas Drance well there's still one more hammer to fall here right Too, like when Antoine Roussel comes back assuming nobody else has suffered a long-term injury at that point there is another body left to come off of this roster, and there's only one guy who can clear waivers, so he might not be long uh, for this lineup, anyways, I guess, in the
1: long run. Well, sure. I mean, there's a bunch of guys who can clear waivers, it's just that you're not waving any of them. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I mean, it's a pet
0: topic of mine on this show. <laughs> I have to bring it up, even though I'm sure the listeners are tired of it at this point. When you have a third line that lacks that identity, who could be used in more of a scoring role, given that the fourth line is you know, going to be used for matchups uh, that way, when is Sven Berchi going to be back on this team, Tom?
1: Well, we'll see. You know, he hasn't gotten off to a, a, a lights-out start in terms of his offensive production, but... That's not a huge surprise, given how sparingly he played last year as a result of injury. Uh, you know, for the most part, he's looked good. I mean, he's looked excellent through the neutral zone in the two Utica Comets games that I've streamed, and, uh, you know, high-quality jumbo cam feed <laughs> on uh, NHL Live. But, you know, it's uh, these things take some time, and, and I think that's part of the reasoning why he didn't break camp with the club. I think there was an interest in having him spend some time, you know, playing big minutes and... And sort of getting his feet under him. Now look, when you look at the third line and, and their inability and it's early, so I mean things can change with two really good shifts, right? But yeah. when we're talking about samples this small, like we're not talking about things that are set in stone, but when it comes to when it comes to, you know, uh, what we've seen from the third line under the hood in terms of their sort of shot rate and their attempt rate and their differentials, you know Sven Berchi would definitely be part of a solution <laughs> in terms of balancing that out. Uh, you know, looking at it on paper, and I do think because of that, and because of the fact that he is a credible middle six NHL winger, uh, he can help this team. And, and I think at some point down the road, he will help this team. I, I'd expect him back. Uh, I mean, I think I wrote in my predictions column right before the season that I'd expect him back before Christmas, and, and I'll, I'll stick to that for now. I think you know it's probably going to take him some time, and, and I think. It's also not a bad thing to have that level of player uh, help you dominate in Utica, especially with some of the guys needing to bounce back on that club. Adam Lind, uh, or sorry, Adam Lind. Oh my God, Mariners great. Uh, no, Cole Lind uh, among them. And uh, so yeah, no, we'll see. But I, I think it'll happen sooner or later. I would, I would sort of put it uh, stick to my pre-Christmas timeline.
0: All right, man, well, I will let you get back to the uh, the pregame festivities in St. Louis, but uh, <laughs> before you go, I just want to say that, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, we all wish it could have been under better circumstances, but uh, it is such a treat to have you back, uh, not just in media in general, but uh, in this market specifically, and uh, the fact that you get to actually live here now instead of just being a Canucks reporter out of Toronto, man, uh, you are sorely missed here and uh it's it's
1: been great to see what you've been doing already in, in just the last month or so thanks man i appreciate it. it's been such a relief to engage with a fan base like this and uh just we've had a, you know me and my wife have had a lot of fun getting back and, and reacquainting ourselves with vancouver and spending time with the family and you know i told her to buy a good rain jacket and she did so we'll see how we'll see how we make it through the winter but Uh, No, it's uh, it's great to be back. It's great to be covering this team. And, you know, it helps that at least so far and regardless of how sustainable these results are, you know, to see Rogers Arena relatively full on a Tuesday night against a moribund Red Wings fan uh, or Red Wings team. uh, That to me, at least, is a sign that, you know, this market's beginning to sort of look at this club through uh, the side of their eyes and and maybe sort of get excited, and there's enough elite talent here that whatever flaws there are with roster construction, being excited about sort of tracking their process, uh, their progress, and their process as they adjust to being NHL stars, you know, has been fun to watch, it has been fun to cover, and uh, and I'm looking forward to sticking with that all season. Well,
0: I'm glad to hear you say that because it does seem like there is a, a bigger game afoot in this city than just the on-ice results. The the you know the larger story over the course of the year is the way, and I talked about this on the show yesterday. Uh, this you know fan base needs to buy in again and 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 love this team with their whole hearts. You know it it, it shouldn't be too long, I would hope, anyways, before uh, you know the the commentary is on when you go watch the games at the bar. I think that's the big sign that. We've turned the corner and people are, are invested again
1: i like that barometer I, I you know we need to figure out some like bill simmons like catchy scale uh which, which that applies to but no i agree with you completely and you know again for me a, a relatively full bowl on a tuesday night against the red wings is uh, certainly a step in the right direction and if this club keeps playing entertaining hockey that'll continue
0: all right man you keep writing entertaining columns and uh, we'll keep <laughs> reading them i'm sure people know Thank they you can find said. your stuff at The Athletic Vancouver, you can listen to the Nuxcast with Drancer and Jay pat as well. And, Tom, uh, thank you so much for doing this, man.
1: Anytime, Justin. Justin.
0: <laughs> there it is, folks. That's our show for the day. That does it for your Locked On Canucks for Thursday, October 17th. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you enjoyed the game, if you've already seen it by the time you're listening to this. And, of course, I'll be back tomorrow to break down everything that happened between the Canucks and the St. Louis Blues. Before I do that, I want to mention the fact Tom was alluding a couple times to another podcast I have started this season with uh, the inimitable Ralph Rantanago called I Think I'm Gonna Ralph. You can find that on uh, Ralph's Twitter feed. Um, Shout out to Mike Martinago for no reason in particular and of course uh, I've been meaning to do this the last couple weeks but if you enjoy the show uh, and you know and you want to help it I would recommend that you head on over to the iTunes store or wherever you happen uh, to listen to the podcast from and uh, rate and review the program if you could be so kind I would very much appreciate that that's all I ask I bring you a new show five days a week all I'm asking you to do in return is throw me a nice little rating and review over on uh, iTunes or wherever you get the show. That's it. That's all. Anyways, until tomorrow, I am and will continue to be Justin Morissette. And you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.